Hi, and welcome to Gospel Mission Church's message podcast. We pray as you listen, God would meet you and speak to you in a personal way. Here's this week's message from Pastor Corey. Good stuff. Hey, it's good to be here this morning, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, at least half a dozen of you are smiling back, so that's awesome. Thank you. Right on. Hey, I've been praying for you guys already this morning, and uh, it's, uh, it's been a great weekend so far. We've seen God do some cool stuff, and even this, this morning for your service that you're attending, I've just been praying that God would come and touch you guys, that he would fill you with his Holy Spirit, and that he would do a great work in your heart this morning. It's good, eh? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for everyone who's in this room, and God, people who are viewing in right now, and Father, we just believe that you have something for us here because you are here. You are in this place, God. And we just, even right now, we just take a moment and we open up our hearts, say, Holy Spirit, I give you room to to work in my life this morning. Yeah, Father, and may everything that I say honor and glorify you. Amen. Amen. Good stuff. All right, we're going to have a little fun here for just a second. Um, how many dog owners do we have? Oh, wow, this is such support. A few less up there, I don't know. Uh, anyways, uh, and so we're, we're dog owners. Uh, we love dogs. Uh, we, have, uh, well, we have a few of them, um, but one in particular is a golden doodle, and I did not know that golden doodles had the energy of 10 dogs. Um, <clears throat> and so walking her has never been very fun. And so I dreamed up a new idea to deal with her energy. It's maybe not that unique, but we really enjoy it. So let's have a quick little look at that here this morning. So we're getting prepped here. There's, you can see a leash, a bike, and a nice path in front of us. Mm-hmm. We've got to get things set because uh, I realized that holding a camera, a leash, and handlebars is a bad idea and doesn't make for very good footage. So we're wrestling to stay upright, and there we All go. Right, here we go, Red. Okay, yep, yep, we're hanging in there. So, so this is walk time. <laughs> All right. Yeah, and oh, yep, yep. And what you didn't see is crash time after, <laughs> which has happened. In fact, it was happening so much that we and Marlo decided we need to be a little better at communication. And so there was two, two words that, that were so important for her, her to learn and me to communicate to her, and that was slow and stop, right? And, and it, was, it was crucial for, for our lives to actually continue in a healthy way. And, uh, uh, cause, wow, we had, anyways, I'm recovered. Um, but it wasn't only through my words but it was also through control on the leash, right? So she knows now when, I, when there's that slight tug on the leash, we're coming to an intersection, she's getting so smart, she slows up, and then she's actually looking already both ways before we go, right? And even if a vehicle comes, she's kind of looking back, hey, are we going to stop or what, right? And, and so it's this communication of not only words, but actions through the leash. And that's kind of what I want to talk about this morning as we be in this series of healthy relationships. And, and, and I don't think it's just for, for, for dogs. I think it's for humans as well where coming to understand that, that if we're going to be healthy in our relationships, that, that, that words reinforced by actions are necessary for us to have life-giving relationships. Because I think we grew up sometimes thinking about communication. I know Pastor Brendan talked about communication last week a little bit in terms of just a verbal exchange of words, right? 
And, and sometimes we believe that it's words alone that make healthy communication. And we know that communication is necessary for healthy relationships. But sometimes we think it's just the words that we speak. But in reality, what I'm finding, and I think you'll agree, is, is that not only is it the words, but it's the behavior that follows those words as proof of our words that lead to meaningful communication, but also healthy relationships. And what I've come to understand, and this applies to everything, whether you're here today and you're married, whether you are single, it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in, you have children, not, I think this kind of overarchs everything we do in regards to relationships. And no matter where you are in that journey, I've found that there are two words or two forms of communication that are most important in our lives as human beings. And the first one is simply this, that you are loved. Right? And that, that my relationship with you should make you feel safe. Whether that's a marriage relationship or a friendship, my relationship with you should make you feel safe because of that love. Right? And the second thing is that you are valued, where I matter to you. Because I think we wake up every day, and, and, and for those of us who are in those healthy relationships, the fact that someone values us and we matter to someone is, is really important to us. And so I believe that being loved and being valued are the greatest human needs, transforming any relationship, even an NBA basketball team. Any basketball fans here? <laughs> Love it. And so even if you do not like sports, hang in there. I want to talk a little bit about the San Antonio Spurs today and their story. San Antonio Spurs are coached by a man named Greg Popovich, and he has coached them for more than 20 seasons, which is amazing in, in, our, in, our, in our world that we live in today as the, most coaches are on the carousel of in and out, in and out. And so during his time coaching, the NBA hired a research team to write an algorithm to predict how many games a team should win in a season. And so much of the data was, was based around how much talent that you have on your team because in theory, more talent should equal more wins. And they were able to, with this algorithm, predict to an extremely 95% plus level of accuracy how many games a team would win or lose with one exception and that was the San Antonio Spurs under the leadership of Greg Popovich. See in his time with the Spurs his team won 117 more games than predicted. More than double of any other NBA coach was his winning record at that time and he actually went on to set records for the winningest coach in not only NBA sports history but the winningest coach in American sports in the last two decades, even greater than that of the New England Patriots. He has five NBA titles to his name. This is an amazing statistics. And so what was it that made Greg Povich such a winning coach? And more importantly, what can it teach us about healthy relationships and communicating with action? And so to begin with, if you look at the Spurs as a team, they have a talented front office, They've got a great draft system, and so they are healthy, right, in, in all of these important areas. But there was more to it that, and so they began to examine Greg as a coach, and they began with the on-court play and the way he coached his, his team. And what they recognized very quickly, that there was something unique about this team, especially in the age of superstars that we live in, in that the team performed thousands of 
selfless acts to win their games. Where other teams would feed the superstar, they were feeding a pass no matter who the player was in hopes of getting a basket, right? They were hustling back on defense. They were working hard. They were setting other players up. It was the fact that they played not selfish but selfless that was evident for some of their on-court success. And while the success was easy to spot on the court, they knew that there had to be something greater motivating this team to play that way, again, in an era where superstars want to be glorified. And to look at him as a coach, Pavlovich, he was 68 years old, he was hardcore, he was ex-Air Force, he was an authoritarian, and on top of that, he was known to possess a strong temper, which could sometimes be seen on court with his players. And so how does a cranky person that, that appears in a certain way coach such a healthy, unified team? And here is one example that was given. It was April 4th, 2014, so a few years ago. This was the morning after the Spurs had lost a heartbreaking game to their arch rival, the Oklahoma Thunder. And what made it even more difficult was the fact that they started the game with a 20-4 lead, and because of a series of mistakes and giveaways, they lost. And it was heartbreaking. And given how the coach acts on court, the expectation would be that it would be a not-so-fun practice the next morning, right? But something else happened, actually, something very different. I think this speaks to the success of this coach. And what was observed that morning by assistant coaches and people who were sitting in the stands watching this practice was not an angry coach. But instead, Popovich was walking around the gym, going from player to player, communicating two things to them, that they were loved and that they were a valued part of this team. It was a touch on the elbow, a hand on the back, a short wrestling match with a player twice his height. He would talk about family, about life, anything but basketball in that moment. And he would go from player to player to player, making sure that they were okay, encouraging them that the next opportunity that they would get would be different and that you matter to this team. One assistant coach said it like this, Popovich made sure that every player's cup was always full. And to further communicate how he felt about them, it was noted that they, as a team, probably ate more meals together than they played games together. And it was said from other coaches that Popovich's difference was that he would always tell you the truth, he would always affirm the player's value, and then he would love them to death. He had a father-son relationship with many of his players, and this was his model for him and his coaches. Hug them and hold them. Amazing story, right? And I think it gives us insight into why the Spurs were such a close-knit competitive team. But I also think that there's some powerful truths in there that we can pull out for ourselves in what it's going to look like for not, us not only to communicate words of affirmation and love, but actually to follow through. And while Pavich's story is great, there's no greater story that gets played out, no greater proof of what this looks like than when we examine the life of Jesus Christ. Because God moved through the Old Testament and he was telling his people, the nation of Israel, over and over and over again, I love you, you're my people, I love you, I love you, right? But God, even understanding how we're wired and what would be most affirming of our love is if he would take it to the next level. And so next level looked like this. 
In John 3.16, we know this passage, many of us by heart since we were young, that God so loved the world, he loved us so much, that what did he do? He sent his son. He put that love into action. And he said, I'm going to send my prized possession, the love of my life, right? My son. And so in John 1.14, it says, Now the word became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. And not only did he send his son, but he took on a human fragile body to live among us to prove not only his love, but our value and our worth. Because why send such a precious, precious son if he didn't believe in the value and worth of who we are as his creation? And then it goes on to say this, and this is how that God showed his love among us, that he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, guys. This is love. Not that we love God, because we do such a poor job of doing that sometimes, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, right? So dear friends, since God loved us, we ought to love others, right? So not only did he communicate that love through his coming, but he proved it when he said, I'm going to do the very thing that you cannot do for yourselves and find healing and freedom from the sins that will hold you down. And so he took it to another level and he said, I won't just come to you, but I will sacrifice my son. I will sacrifice my, my most beloved because I want you guys to know. And even in this moment as we sit here in this room, I believe the message is still the same where God says, I want you to know how limitless my love is for you. Amen. I want you to know how extravagant my love is for you. I want you to know that my love was born out of a selfless act. Because you have so much value to me. That was his message, right? And look, look how he chose to love us. Look when he chose to love us, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, he died. Right? I hear people say all the time, man, I got my life cleaned up so I can come to Christ. I got my life cleaned up so I can come to church. I got to get my life cleaned up before I get baptized. Guys, not according to Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8 says God wants to meet you in your sin and in your brokenness when you feel unlovable, when you feel at your worst, when you feel like you don't belong. Romans 5.8 says that's where I want to meet you. That's why I came. Not only did he communicate his love, but he also communicated, communicated value and belonging. And I want to look at just two, two quick stories this morning. And the first one was the Samaritan woman at the well. And we find that in John chapter 4. And we don't have time to read the whole story, unfortunately. <clears throat> and so Jesus and his disciples had taken a little detour through Samaria. Not a good place for, for Jews because Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other. And it was midday, and so Jesus was thirsty, so he sat down by a well. And guys, if, if you're going to meet someone at a well at a midday, and they're coming to get water, it's because they don't want to be seen by other people. And whether they've got something to hide, or whether they just don't see any value in themselves, you don't go midday unless there's something wrong. Right? And so in John 4, 9, it says, The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? 
And here already you see this woman recognizes her place in society because of the time of day she's there, but also because who Jesus is as a Jew and a man and that she shouldn't be talking with him. And especially, why would he lower himself to talk to her? And so Jesus questions her about her husband and the marriages that she had. And guys, I always grew up thinking that Jesus was here to challenge her in her sinful life. But actually, if you read the culture of, the, of, of the, the, the time and day when this was written, it was actually illegal for women to divorce their husbands. And so instead of a, a sinful woman, we find a woman who's not wanted, who has no place, has no value in society to the fact that one man would pass it to the next and the next and the next. And even now, the man that she is with does not love her enough for him to marry her. And so in this low point of life, after being passed along, passed along, passed along, do you, see, do you see what makes this story so beautiful? That here comes Jesus, and he says, I value you when nobody else does. And so I believe that through Jesus' words, but his actions, he spoke life. Because he said in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that you asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would give you living water. And so he speaks love and value over her. And look at her response in verse 28 of John 4. He said, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come, see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of town and they made their way towards him. Guys, do you see what happened here? Jesus shows up. He affirms who she is, values her, and invites her into his kingdom. Right? He invites and he takes that drink of water from someone considered unclean, right? society, invites her into the church community and says, you are loved and you're valued. And look at, look at her response. Look at her response. She went and as a transformed person, now she's interacting with society and she's actually a voice for Jesus himself. Come and see. Come and see the man who loves me and loves sinners, who loves Samaritans. Come and see. And she becomes an evangelist for Jesus. We're reading through the, the book of Luke right now as a, as a school at GMDS. And there's two things that have stood out to me in the book of Luke. First of all, how Jesus needs the power of the Holy Spirit to help him do ministry. The second thing is how many times Luke mentions that Jesus associates with sinners, tax collectors, and prostitutes. And in Luke 5.27, we see another interaction with one of those hated people in society by the, the church. And he says in verse 27, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. And Jesus said, Follow me. I can't imagine what Levi, knowing how the, his own Jewish people feel about him, and here comes a teacher, a respected rabbi, right? Possibly the Messiah, it was the word. And he says, Follow me. I want to be with you, Levi. And look at Levi's reaction. Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. And then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them, right? And of course, the church, the Pharisees, shows up, and they say, why do you eat with these tax collectors and these sinners, right? And Jesus making a statement, I, I didn't come for you. I came for those who were lost and hurting, feeling undervalued, who didn't believe that they could be loved. I came for broken people, imperfect people. That's 
who I came for so I could bring life and hope through my words and through my actions. And to add one more to that, because I believe word was spreading about Jesus, we look at Luke 7, 37, only a few chapters later. And now a woman in that town who lived a sinful life, believe that she was a prostitute is what scholars believe, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, right? Because word was spreading. There's this, there's this man, this teacher named Jesus, and he loves sinners. He loves prostitutes. He loves tax collectors. He loves the broken. And, and I need to go and see him. Because she was probably heard how Jesus was spreading love through words and actions. And look at her response. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Do you see what happens, guys, when we communicate love and value and we follow that with actions? Do you see what's happening in, in the healing, first of all, in her own life? But then that Jesus attracts those people into her life to bring them into relationship, to bring life, right? And so we find Jesus as our example. We find Jesus, even, even guys, because there'll be times in your life if you choose to live this way, will it, not, it will not be reciprocated. People will not always respond, and yet Jesus is our example. In spite of that, this is our calling. To love, to value with our words, and then to affirm with our actions, right? <clears throat> and so this morning, with, with the time that we have left, I want us to... Invite the Holy Spirit to begin examining our hearts. And I want to be careful because I know that sometimes we, we, we can be led into self-condemnation. And that's not what the Holy Spirit's work is. His, his word is just to actually connect with us and lead us to something better. And so what does this mean for us this morning? I think we, it means for us that, that we need to invite the Holy Spirit to allow us to examine our hearts and become aware of the words that are coming out of our mouth towards the people in our life. Are they words of life and hope, healing? Do they communicate love and value and safety and belonging? And then our own actions affirming proof of those words where we say, I love you, and so that means I will treat you differently. I value you so my actions will show that, right? And it's good. Speaking as a husband, there are very specific ways that I am called to communicate love and worth to my wife. And I'll be the first to say I don't always do that well. But when I'm at my best, it's when I communicate my commitment to her and my sacrifice to her through my words. And that, that encourages her. But, but do you know, guys, what brings life to her? When I follow through. That's what brings life into her soul, into her heart, right? And then what happens is as, as her heart comes alive because I, I'm loving and affirming, suddenly that, that, that falls back onto me and this beautiful cycle of love and affirmation begins to happen, I believe, the way that Christ intended it, right? And even with our children, right? We, we, we love them by saying, I'm going to prioritize time to spend with you even though my life is busy. I'm going to tell you that I love you, but I'm also going to show you that I love you by paying attention to what's going on in your life. I'm going to pray for you. Not just behind the scenes, but together. It's one of the most beautiful things we've started doing in our family nights on Sundays. We've been praying for each other, bringing requests before each other. 
And I believe that's how Jesus calls us to love each other, right? And, and even if you're not married or don't have children, it's even in your friends, right? What, where, where, where we prioritize and say, what's going on in your life? How can I help you? What do you need? And even to tell them, I love you. It's all right to tell your friends that you love them, right? It's all right. And, and, and guys, people need to know that we love them. We need to say the words, I love you. I love you. It's not enough to assume that somebody knows. It's not. Everybody needs to be told that they're loved. Everybody needs to be told that they're valued, right? And I hear people sometimes say, well, that, that seems like that's going to take a lot of work and time. And, and you're right. Loving and affirming and valuing people and spending time with people does take time. But guys, we have to understand that we've got a greater purpose than just building our own little lives. Right? Because when we come to understand, guys, that, 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 that the purpose of our existence in everything that we do, every action is meant to live in a way that those actions will always glorify God. And if you're here and you're single, then your purpose is to glorify God in that season of singleness. And if you're married, then your purpose is to glorify God in the way that you treat your spouse. If you have children, then your purpose is to glorify God in the way that you love your children. And if you're at work, your purpose is to glorify God through your work and the actions that take place at work. And in our playtime, and especially in our communication, the words that should come from our mouth should be glorifying to God because that is our purpose. In everything we do, God, are you being glorified? And you can even invite the Holy Spirit, even right now, God, am I glorifying you with the actions of my life towards others? Am I glorifying you with the words that I'm speaking? Right? Because that is our purpose. Right? And if we want to see relationships become healthy, we need to prioritize them and glorify God through words and actions of love and value. And so again, Holy Spirit, how healthy are the relationships that are in our life? And you'll know. You'll know, guys, because people are always attracted to someone who is loving and affirming. You look at it in the life of Jesus, and you'll step into a room, and if there's someone who is speaking blessings over someone, you know that there's going to be people attracted to that person. And the beautiful thing is, as a son or a daughter of Christ, we all have what's inside of us to become that person. We all do. One of the things that we challenge our, our, our GMDS students with is, is this idea that when people are with you, they should be better for it. Being in your presence should elevate the value and worth that that person feels in their life because we are with them as, as, as sons and daughters of Christ, right? And I think the health will be determined through how we communicate love and value through word and action. And guys, if we even take a snapshot and go back to the nation of Israel because that was a messy, messy road for many of them. And it says in Ezekiel 33, 31, and, and just so you know, this passage is about the fall of Israel. The reason that Israel was falling away from God, falling into slavery, falling out of the blessings that God so badly wanted to give for them, and it had to do with their words and their actions. And it said, Their mouth speaks of love, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. Indeed, to them you are nothing more than the one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice, Plays an instrument well, for they hear your words, but they do not put them into practice. 
And we see where this relationship with God that God desired so greatly was falling away because their words were saying, we love you, God, but their actions weren't following through, right? And I get it. Some of us are here, and we haven't been loved very well by the people who should have loved us, right? I know there are hurting hearts and hurting lives in this place. And maybe you've never been loved, and so today you find it hard to say those words, hard to live that out sometimes because you're so held down by your past, And I see, guys, so often it breaks my heart where where people will give up a healthy future, a healthy relationship because they don't feel that they're qualified because of their past, where their past actually disqualifies them from experiencing, knowing, and giving love. But guys, here's what's so beautiful. No matter where you're from, who raised you, how good or bad that is, None of those things disqualify you from experiencing the love of God. In fact, if you profess to be a son or a daughter of Jesus Christ, then in that relationship, you are now qualified to experience love, to know love, to be healed by love, to be transformed by love. And what happens, guys, is as, as, as you enter into that relationship with God with that expectation, putting yourself before the Lord, not only will you experience love, but you will not be able to withhold love. And so how do we get there? How do we get to that place to live that way, to be filled that way? Guys, it's going to take more than a one-minute prayer. It's going to take more than just reading Scripture for a checklist. And I believe, guys, that if we as a church would begin to contend for our time with God and we push other things away, where we would prioritize prayer and being in the Word, meditating on on the Word, I believe that there would be an outpouring of God's love into individual lives, but the lives of the church, that would be so real and tangible, the world would go, what's going on over there? Amen. We had a speaker this last week at at GMDS, and he said this, and he challenged our students. And guys, I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm just saying, here's the path to life, okay? Good? Okay. And he said it this way. We're talking about devotions and spending time with Jesus. Are you trying to just squeeze Jesus into your life, or are you building your life around Jesus Christ? And I think in North America... If I look at how I spend a lot of my time, I'm just trying to squeeze Jesus into little pieces of my life. And no wonder the church seems so powerless. But I think that we as a church and we as individuals, if we would repent of the selfishness of our time and we would give it in greater extent to God, not only would we be healed, but we would see God transform other lives through his love. We have to contend for it, though. We have to fight for it. Give ourselves to it, and God will move. God's going to move. Again, I believe, guys, that that when you experience God's love, physically, emotionally, or even in your thoughts, cerebrally, because we all think differently, I get that. When you taste his love in a tangible way, it will be difficult for you not to love others in spite of your past. And I believe more than ever, this generation needs the touch of God's love. We hear it, we hear it, we hear it, we hear it. But do we know it? Have we experienced it? Right? I'm going to read you a, a passage out of Psalms. Beautiful passage. Psalm 34, verse 4. It's going to be the last passage I'll, I'll, I'll read t- today. It says this. This is David 
So I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. Guys, do you believe in the power of your prayers? David prayed to the Lord and he answered him. He heard him. He listened to him. And guys, again, this was not a, a 30-second prayer. You read the Psalms, and those are, those, are, those are a collection of prayers by David and other people who recognized that God was powerful, that God was life-giving, and so they committed their time to him. And look what happened after he prayed. He freed me from all of my fears. What are your fears that you're carrying this morning? What are your fears that you're carrying this morning? For most people in the church, they can boil it down to three things. Am I loved? Am I valued? And can I trust God? And you'll find that all of your fears that you're battling with will, will, will find their, their roots and they'll, they'll trace themselves back into those three things. Three things. Right? But according to David's life, he said when he prayed, and he prayed in earnest that God freed him from his fears, doesn't mean that all the situations are solved, but he, he lived with a sense of inner peace. And then he says, those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. What's radiating from your mouth? What's radiating from you as a person? Is it anger? Is it bitterness? Is it frustration? Is it hopelessness? Is it despair? Because we have a God who says, I am so much greater than those things. And if you would commit your life to me, commit your time to me, pour your heart out to me, what does it say? We will radiate something different. We will radiate joy, which not only will bless us, but it will draw people in to be ministered to by us. And I love this next part because there's so many people who are going through life feeling so ashamed because of their actions, because of their past, because of what's done to them through the abuse. And it says, no shadow of shame will darken their faces. Isn't that good? So it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Amen. Thanks for joining us on the GMC podcast. For more information about what's going on this week, check out gmchurch.ca. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful week.